Okay, here we go. Let's look at, we're going to look at uh, lesson 17. We're going to look at the ram and the goat, part two. So let's look at verse 15 now. Then it happened when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. Okay, so he's Daniel is looking for an an understanding of what do these two beats mean, okay? He wants an understanding of the interpretation, so a man appears to him. The appearance of the man. So what we see here is when Daniel had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning, one in the appearance of man appears to him, okay? One in the appearance of man appeared. Then look at the proclamation, verse 16. Then I heard the man's voice between the banks of the Uli who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he heard a voice, all right? So a voice cried to the one who appeared and told him to help Daniel understand the vision. So in his dream, he's wanting to understand the vision. Here comes some guy, some guy in appearance of man, appears on the banks. And a voice comes from somewhere and says to the guy who appeared, Gabriel, make make known the interpretation of this dream to Daniel. Okay? So the voice identified the one who appeared as Gabriel. Now, how many of you have heard of the angel Gabriel before? Okay? What's the most... When was the last time you heard of Gabriel? We just had Christmas, and who appeared to Mary? Gabriel. Okay, so this is a significant angel. All right? The one who appeared as Gabriel. Okay, so let's look now. He's going to address Daniel here in verses 17 through 18. So look with me in verse 17 through 18. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. Now, as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and stood me upright. Okay, so let's look here. First of all, Gabriel came near, and Daniel was afraid. Gabriel came near, and Daniel was afraid. Now, let me just stop for a moment. This is a good place to make a theological point to you, because we live in a world that is continues to be, it kind of goes through waves, but it's always there. Sometimes it's, it's increased in popularity. But we live in a world where, there's, where there always is this fascination with what? Angels. Okay? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Maybe you have some friends who don't go to church, or maybe even some Catholic friends who are really into angels, and they, they, they send you what their guardian angel said. or so, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Especially you see it on Facebook or the Internet or whatever. And there is this focus on angelology, and you'll hear people say, well, you know, my angel this, and my angel said this, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Okay? That's just a spiritism. Okay? The reality is, is that if the Word of God is our standard, whenever we see people come in contact in God's Word, whether it's the Old or New Testament, with an angel, what's their reaction? They're freaked out. Do you know what I'm saying? They're, they're scared. They're trembling. Some of them fall on their faces like dead. Do you know what I'm saying? 
Because they, they recognize they're in the presence of what? An awesome being. When you look at a lot of the angelology that's out there, that, that fear factor is missing. It's almost like he's my bud and high five and, you know, take care of me and make sure that I'm doing okay today, you know. Give me my parking spot at Walmart on a busy day, you know. And, and, and the reality is, is we got to have a biblical mindset about angels. They are messengers, servants of God. They're spirit beings. They're awesome. They're wise. They're smart. They're strong. But they do God's purpose. And what we see from the scripture is when we come in contact with one, we're freaked out. So, okay, remember, we just had Christmas. We remember from the Gospel of Luke, the scene of the angels appearing to the shepherds. What did they do? Hey, come on down, have some, have a burger with us. No, no, they were freaked out, right? So you, I just want you to understand. So Daniel has a natural reaction. Even in his dream, he has a natural reaction. He's freaked out. Let's go on. Gabriel stated that the vision refers to the end of time. Okay, so make a note here in your mind. This vision is about this ram and this goat refers to things that are about the end of time. Okay? So we're going to see here now that, again, remember I told you it's a near and far fulfillment. So the angel is helping us to see that here, that this is not just something that's near in the future from where Daniel is, but this also has a fulfillment that's even further in the future towards the end of what? Time. Okay? So let's go on. Daniel was asleep when Gabriel spoke to him. Obviously, he must have fallen on his face, and he fell asleep or fell in the trance or something. Okay? And Gabriel spoke to him and touched him. So Gabriel spoke to him and touched him. Now, we're going to look at the interpretation of the dream. Look with me at verse 19 and 20. And he said, look. I am making known to you what will happen in the latter time of the indignation. For at the appointed time, the end shall come. The ram which you saw, having two horns, are the kings of Media and Persia. Okay, so let's talk about that. First of all, Gabriel was making known what will take place in the latter time of indignation. The latter time of indignation. Anybody have any clue what that might refer to? Anybody? Again, it may have a near and far fulfillment. What do you think? Tribulation. That's obviously a definite time of indignation. Okay. Another thought is, is that the time of indignation refers to the Gentile domination of Israel. Okay. Which has happened... From this point on, okay? And that domination will be there until who comes back? Jesus comes back, okay? Let's go on. He states that the appointed, at the appointed time, the end will take place. At the appointed time, the end will take place. So here's what you need to understand. This is a good point for you and I to focus on for a moment. When we talk about when Jesus is coming back, when the end will happen, 
it's at an appointed time. It's just not going to happen. It's not like the father is going to say, okay, that just seems like a good day. Seems like a good day. You know, no, no, at an appointed time, there are things that must take place, all in the plan of God, in the providence of God, and at the appointed time, everything's going to be done. Do you understand? It's just not pull it out of a hat, what day might we do here, okay? Flip a coin, is this the day? No, at an appointed time. Gabriel identifies the ram with two horns as the two kings of Media and Persia. The two kings of Media and Persia, two great kings. Now, from history, we know who they are. The first one would be Cyrus. Of course, Cyrus is the one who uh, defeated um, defeated Babylon and made what expanded the Persian Empire to what it is. The other one is Artaxerxes. Okay? Now, Artaxerxes, you would know him from... The book of Esther. He was married to who? Esther. Okay? Now, the interesting thing about Artaxerxes is, he is the king. Okay? I mean, remember, I didn't see the movie, but I know it was made. The movie 300? You've seen the movie? Okay. And then there's another movie that's a follow-up movie about the Navy or something. Uh, You know, I'm not recommending you go see the movies, but it's referring to the same incident of the Persian king who's trying to take what? Greece. That's Artaxerxes, okay? That's the king here. So the ram is referring to Cyrus, the, the, the smaller of the two large horns is Cyrus, and the larger of the two horns, again, is a king, because in the book of Daniel, these horns represent kings, refers to an even greater king who would be Artaxerxes, okay? Artaxerxes. So now we're going to talk about the goat, Okay? The goat. So I want you to notice with me verse 21 of chapter 8. Look at what he says there. And the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. The large horn that is between its eyes is the first king. Okay, so what I want you to see here is he identifies the goat as the kingdom of Greece. And the large horn is the first king, which we know as, we know as Alexander the Great. Okay? Now, let me explain to you who Alexander the Great is. Alexander the Great obviously is the first king of the Greek Empire. He was actually, his father was Philip of Macedonia. Uh, and under Alexander, he kind of unified all the Greek states there and expanded beyond that border. Alexander's life is very interesting. If you want to read about him, you can. Um, I think either he or his mother had his father Philip poisoned, okay, so that Alexander could take over, and he took over as a young man in his early 20s. He didn't live very long, but what he did was amazing. Um, and so this large horn, this large kingdom, is uh, the Greek Empire, and its first king is Alexander the Great. Now, here's what we know that happens, okay? We know that when Alexander the Great took over, he immediately attacked 
Who? The Persian Empire. And he defeated them. But he didn't just stop there. Okay? When he attacked the Persian Empire, he went all the way down south and took all of the what we know as the Middle Eastern area there, where Israel is included, all the way down into Egypt, took, took Egypt. He founded the city, if you know in the news now, the city of Alexandria. It's named after Alexander. He founded that city in Greece, okay, I mean in Egypt. And he went all the way to what we know today as India. Okay, so that's how big his empire was. The problem was, here's the next point. Look with me at verse 22. As for the broken horn and the four that stood in his place, four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not with its power. Okay? So Gabriel states that four kingdoms will arise out of that empire, but not with its former power. Here's what happens. Okay? We know that when Alexander dies, his empire is divided among his four top generals. Okay, here's what happens. It's an interesting story because this is what happens usually with most guys who have world power. Okay? It goes to their head. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Have you ever heard that statement before? Okay. That is so true, and it happened in Alexander's life. So here he is, this young guy. He conquers the known world. He takes, he conquers one empire. Everybody, every every army that comes that he faces is defeated. So at this, at some point, he declares himself to be a what? God. Okay. At some point, he believes himself to be divine. Well, what ended up happening is, is Tragically, I guess they say tragically, but interestingly, Alexander got sick and died. Okay? Now the problem is, is here's this guy who's the ruler of this huge empire. He doesn't have any heirs, because he ain't married. He didn't marry, okay? And he uh, has nobody to leave the empire to, so there's no Alexander Jr., Okay? So what they decided to do was, is to divide his vast empire up into four kingdoms, okay? And so they divided it among his four top generals. So the Greek empire becomes four Greek empires that dominate really the whole Mediterranean area until the Romans emerge, okay? So for the next two, three hundred years, there's going, it's, it's, the area is going to be basically Hellenized. When we talk about Hellenized, we're talking about being under Greek influence, okay? So basically what happens is, is that that one horn break is broken and out of it emerges, emerges four horns, which are these four kingdoms, okay? Which are the four kingdoms. Now, Here's what happens. Now, progress yourself forward a couple of hundred years, maybe a hundred years or so, and out of these four kingdoms emerges another horn, okay, which is the fierce kingdom, and we see that in verses 23 through 26, and we're going to spend some time here, okay? So let's look at verse 23, and notice how it begins. So you're talking about sometime a little bit later in the kingdom of these 
in, in the time of these four kingdoms, okay? In the latter time of their kingdom, okay, so you're a little bit further down, when transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes, his power shall be mighty, but not by his own. He shall destroy fearfully, and shall prosper and thrive, and he shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart, and he shall destroy many in their prosperity. And he shall even rise against the prince of princes. And he shall be broken without human means. And the vision of the evenings and the mornings which was told is true. Therefore seal up the vision. For it refers to many days in the future. Okay, so what's happening here? What we're going to see here is, again, he's, he's going to be prophesying about a fierce king. Now, remember what I told you about prophecy. Biblical prophecy often has a near and far fulfillment. You guys remember me mentioning that before? We mentioned it at the beginning of Daniel. I mentioned it to you last week. There's usually a near and far fulfillment. So when we read this, some of, the, some of what this prophecy is going to talk about is about a king who's coming in the near future that's going to dominate Israel. But some of this prophecy is also talking about something yet to happen. Something that's going to happen in the future. Because this king that's being described here is going to be destroyed without human means. Well, that's not going to be true of Antiochus Epiphanes. I mean, he dies. And he doesn't die because of something supernatural. Okay? That obviously is referring to who? The Antichrist. Who's going to be destroyed by who? Jesus, when he comes back. And that's not going to be of a human means. So, let's talk about this. First of all, the nature of the king. In the latter time of these kingdoms, a king will emerge that is sinister and fierce. So, in the latter time of these kingdoms, a kingdom will emerge that is sinister and fierce. And actually, in history... This is around the time of, you guys remember the festival of Hanukkah? We just had that here recently. The Jews celebrate the festival of Hanukkah, the festival of lights. That is from this time period of this king because of his domination of the temple and ceasing the sacrifices and the services of the temple. This is also around the time of the emergence of the Roman Empire. Okay? So this is a fierce king. He's one of the, he's a king of one of these four kingdoms. And so this is what we're talking about, the latter time of these kingdoms. He will have mighty power and will just totally destroy others as he thrives. We know this about Antiochus, that when Antiochus emerged, he basically wiped out, was wiping out all of the kingdoms around him. He was a pretty fierce guy. We also know that this refers to who? The Antichrist. Later on, because he's going to have the same type of power to what? Destroy others around him. Okay? So I want you to think of it in a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. Okay? So he's going to be mighty, 
have mighty power, and totally destroy others as he thrives. This king has been identified as Antiochus IV Epiphany. Now, Epiphany in the Greek means magnificent. Okay? So this guy, he, he basically described, have you ever, ever had somebody who nicknames himself? You ever had somebody, you know, my name's the bull, you know, something like that. You know, some guy nicknames himself. Well, Antiochus nicknamed himself Epiphany, meaning magnificent. Now, the, the Greek followers actually nicknamed, took Epiphany, and there's a way to change it to refer to Antiochus V, the madman, okay? Because they, they basically said he was out of his mind with power. So this is who we're talking about here, but yet it has a far fulfillment. He makes war and destroys the people of God, Israel. In fact, we know from history that on two different occasions, when he went down to Egypt to try to destroy the, the, one of the four kingdoms, which would be the Ptolemies, down in Egypt, he was stopped because of the Romans, and he took out, he was so angry that he couldn't wipe out Egypt, that on his way back, because he's, his, his center of power would be in what is known as Syria today, or Damascus, he decides to let out his anger on Jerusalem. Okay, we know that from history. And uh, so he basically makes war and destroys the people of God, Israel. That's also, folks, very true about the Antichrist. So that you understand, when the Antichrist makes war against Israel in the future, he will actually come to the point of almost destroying them. Do you understand? They're not going to be able to withstand his power and come to victory. It's because of that that they'll make, they'll turn back to who? Jesus, the Messiah. And he will come and he will rescue them. Okay? He will come and rescue them and end everything as we know it. Alright? So let's go on. His reign will be marked by deceit and the destruction of many. Antiochus Epiphanes Basically was a scoundrel. He lied. He did what he had to do. And, uh, that's basically how his reign, he was basically destroyed anybody. Okay? Even his friend. You don't necessarily want to be his friend. And that's going to be true of the Antichrist as well. Let's, let's go on here. He, in his pride, He will even place himself against the Prince of Peace, which is Jesus Christ. Now, let's stop for a moment. When you read that, let's look at that verse. Look in your Bible there at verse 25. When you read verse 25, is that talking about Antiochus Epiphanes? Who's that talking about there? Yeah, it's got to be talking about the Antichrist because we know the Prince of Peace is who? Jesus. So, uh... Jesus wasn't in bodily form during the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, okay? So this has to be referring, this is a part of the prophecy referring to somebody yet in the future, which is the Antichrist. So in his pride, he will place himself against the Prince of Peace. Here's the other part that we know. He will be destroyed supernaturally. 
That is not what happened to Antiochus Epiphanes. He was not destroyed without human means. He died a natural death. Okay? He died a natural death. So the far fulfillment of this prophecy will be the Antichrist as he is destroyed by Jesus Christ. So, so does everybody understand, what we're seeing here is prophecy that's fulfilled in the near future, which is through this guy Antiochus Epiphanes. And we also see its far fulfillment, which is going to happen when what? Jesus Christ comes back. Now this is why a lot of scholars can't believe, they have a hard time understanding this prophecy. They think it's all fulfilled in one guy. But when you read the prophecy... Yes, some of it's fulfilled in one guy, but there's parts of it that are not fulfilled. Did you understand what I'm saying? That are yet to come. And that's true throughout a lot of the prophecies of the Scripture. So, here's what happens. He goes on in verse 26. Remember, we looked at verse 26. Let's read that again. The angel is speaking here to to Daniel, and he says, And the vision of the evenings and the morning which was told is true. Therefore seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. So here's what he's doing. The vision concerning the desolation of the temple is true. So the angel's saying to Daniel, Hey, what I just told you about what's going to happen with God's holy people and what's going to happen with the temple being desolate, the, the sacrifices ceasing there. That is true. You need to recognize it's true. All right, so let's stop for a moment. It did happen under Antiochus Epiphanes. But yet some of it has yet to happen. What can you, what can you and I take home from that? We saw some of it fulfilled already during the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes against Israel. But we've seen some of it not fulfilled yet. So what, what can I take home from that? Is the stuff that hasn't been fulfilled going to happen? Yeah, yeah. Why? Because I already know that some of it has been fulfilled. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that's why the near and far fulfillment, because I see part of it has already been fulfilled. I can take it to the bank that the rest of it's going to be fulfilled at what? Some point. Okay? At some point. Here's the other part. Daniel is told to seal up or to conclude the prophecy which refers to what will take place in the future. So Daniel is basically told, okay, what you've gotten with this dream, that's it. Seal it up. Write it down. Don't add anything to it. That's basically what we're talking about when we're talking about sealing. Is when we look at chapter 8, we're not to add anything to it. In fact, this is an interesting thing. In the book of Revelation, at the end of Revelation, John is told what to seal up. Don't add to it or take it away because you'll face a judgment. You're going to see this same command over and over in the book of Daniel when it comes to these prophecies that he's given. Don't add anything to it. Seal it up. This is what it is. So here's what I want you to understand. When we talk about prophecy, there's two levels of prophecy in the Bible. There's biblical end-time prophecy, which has to do with prophetic material concerning what's going to happen in the future. 
That's sealed up. You can't add to it. It's in the Word of God. It, you, you can't add to it or take away from it. There's another level of prophecy, which we see oftentimes in the book of Acts, where someone is told from God to go and do something, okay, or told not to do something. For instance, uh, the Apostle Paul, he wanted to go to Macedonia. He, he, didn't, he wanted to go to another part of Asia Minor, and he was restrained by the Holy Spirit, and he had a vision of the Macedonian men. Remember that? Where he said, come over here. That's a prophecy. That's a proclamation of truth telling him what to do. That's a different level, okay? But when it comes to prophetic material concerning the end times of what's going to happen, that's sealed up. So why am I making that point? So how many of you heard of the book The Harbanger? It was on the New York Times bestseller list for a while. How many of you have heard of that book? Don't buy it. Why? There's no new prophecy concerning the end times. Do you understand? It's sealed up. There's no new prophecy that says that the United States has some special part in it and what happened with 9-11. That, that, that baloney, folks. There's, it's sealed up. What you have is in your word. You just need to know that. And it didn't mention the two towers, did it? Do you know what I'm saying? Well, maybe it was the two horns on the goat. No, no, folks. Okay? Excuse me, not the goat. The ram. That's not the point. That's a new type. That's called a new, a postmodern, postmodern type of prophecy that exists there. And it's not based on the literalness of the scripture. It's based upon what that guy who's writing it thinks. And guess what it does? It's doing really good right now, making the writer a lot of money. Just being honest with you. When you're, when you're, when you're selling that many books, you're making lots of money. Okay? Because it doesn't add anything to the scripture, so don't waste your time on that. Daniel's told to seal up or conclude this particular prophecy. Don't add to it. What you got here is enough. Okay? Anybody got a question so far? Yeah, Mike. When I say it's sealed up, that's a good question. Does it mean, like, are we not, Understand, he seals up this particular prophecy. We're not to add to it. He gives us other prophecies. Okay, so we have other prophecies in Daniel. And then we have the ultimate prophecy, which is in Revelation. Okay? And they don't reveal everything. Okay? So like the prophecies of Daniel, they're written from his perspective there in the Middle East. Okay? From the perspective of the people of God at that time, which is Israel. So they deal specifically with the Israelis the Israeli nation. You also have the prophecies of Revelation, which incorporates a whole lot more than that. It's not just Israel, but the nations of the world, believers from the nations of the world. But yet they don't take into perspective, like in America or South America, because was America, was the Western Hemisphere even discovered at that time? No. Okay. That's not a perspective that they have. In fact, at that time, the Germanic tribes, the West as we know it, was pretty barbarian at that point. They weren't civilized. So from the perspective of these prophecies, they're not even going to be looking at those nations. Okay? So what, what you, so it's not going to tell you much. It's only going to tell you what little bit that you need to know. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because we've already talked before that not everything is written down. Not everything is listed. Remember when we looked at the dream of the four beasts? 
Daniel only focused on which beast? The last beast. He didn't focus on the other three. That didn't, that didn't concern him. So he didn't spend a lot of time talking about the three other beasts. He only focused on the fourth beast. And, and the king of that fourth beast, which was the Antichrist. Okay? That's what we need to, that's what, that's what we need to take away from it. We don't need to have a lot of thought about the other kingdoms and what they mean. Same thing here. He talks about four kingdoms, and then he talks about one king who comes out of these four kingdoms, and he's going to be fierce. He's not going to talk about the rest of that history at this point. He maybe will later in the prophecies, and he will. But I think he does later so that we understand that what he's saying is true. We need to pay attention to it. So, yeah, it is a mystery. You're not going to know everything. Okay? You're not going to know everything. And you and I need to grasp that. Okay? You and I need to grasp that. What we like to do is, is this is the problem with us, is that we often assign ourselves as, an Ameri- as Americans to this greater place in history. Do you understand what I'm saying? We think of ourselves as the ultimate people. Because we're taught that. All right? But the reality is, is we're just one people among many. And so we look at everything in terms of America. You know? And the reality is, is that, folks, the Bible thinks in terms of one people, two peoples, actually. Israel and the people of God. Period. And that's where we need to keep our focus at. Does everybody understand? Okay, Let, let's, let's we got a few more minutes. There's one other point here. Look at verse 27. Daniel's response. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Afterward, I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. All right, so what's going on here? First of all, Daniel was physically affected by the vision as he fainted and was sick for many days. How many know what I'm talking about? How many of you have ever had a dream and it was so real and so bothersome that that when you woke up, you knew it was a dream, but it bothered you for days or like the whole next day and you convinced yourself no more hot Italian sausage that late at night, you you know what I'm saying? Do you know what I mean? How many of you had a dream like that? You've had dreams, or you woke up mad. Lori sometimes will wake up, and she's mad at me. And I'm like, what did I do? Well, in my dream, what's your dream? I didn't do that. I'm not that dumb. You know know what I'm saying? Maybe I am. But, I mean, he was physically affected by the dream. So what he saw, we're looking at it in an abstract way here by looking at it from the perspective of a study. What Daniel saw affected him. It affected him majorly. Part of why it affected him, because it had to do with his people. Did you know what I'm saying? So, like, okay, if you're, you're from, most of us are here from the Clearfield area or Kerwinsville, okay? You had a dream, and in your dream you were shown the future of something terrible that's going to happen to our community. You don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but you know the angel told you it's true, this is going to happen many days. Wouldn't that affect you? Yeah, this is where Daniel's at, okay? So then Daniel continued to function in the king's court, okay, this is the Babylonian king, even though he could not understand the vision. So even though he didn't understand, he just kept on doing his thing in the king's court. Kept on being an official, kept on serving, even though he didn't understand. 
Now, this is a remarkable thing because he's in which kingdom? He's serving in which kingdom at this point? Which kingdom is he serving under? No, 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 not yet. Which is the kingdom before that? Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, which is what? Babylonian. And he's seen the vision of two other kingdoms that are yet to come. So what does that mean about the Babylonian kingdom? It's history, right? Wouldn't that affect you? Like if you had a dream and the place you're working at you know is going to be wiped out, it isn't going to exist anymore, and you obviously are going to go on somewhere else. Well, what would you be thinking when you go to work? This place is history. Yay. When's it going to happen? You know what I'm saying? He just kept on functioning. Okay? Now, some of you might be sad if your work got wiped out. Some of you might be really happy if that happened. Okay? Uh, but that's what's happening here with Daniel. Okay? Now, next week, we're going to look at the 77s. Okay, this is going to take a couple of weeks to do Daniel's prophecy of the 70 weeks. Okay, how many of you have heard of that before, the 70 weeks? We're going to talk about that next week. 